Welcome to Writer Syndrome, a podcast about writing from start to finish. This episode's topic, character archetypes. Uh, I'm Russ Capasso, and sitting across from me virtually digitally is Tim Letney. Tim, how are you, and what character archetype are you feeling like today? I think I'm the rogue today, you know? Ooh, the rogue. All right. Yeah, and I think it's pronounced archetype. Archetype, that's right. We, I think we, yeah. yes, that's actually how it's pronounced. Yes. Okay. Maybe. Don't lead the readers. Archetypes. The listeners astray. The archetypes. Yes, yeah. The archetypes, right. If you think otherwise, you know, send us a note. So you're feeling like the rogue, huh? Yeah. How about you? Uh, Jester, definitely today. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I'm feeling a little funny. I'm feeling a little. I don't tri- think we're tri- going to get along today. Trickstery. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I'm feeling a little comic reliefy. Uh, so last episode, we dove into uh, story archetypes. And um, <laughs> <laughs> God, now you got me doing this. Um, and we, we decided to break it out because we realized oh, there's there's a lot to cover. Um, and we both realized, I think, these would have been great things if we had... I mean, we knew about them before we started our projects, but uh, I don't think I really use them like specifically to design my characters. But uh, this time around, I am for the second book. And now I look at my characters from my first book and I'm seeing like, oh, they all do fall into these these categories or a category or, or an archetype, I should say, pretty pretty cleanly. But uh, yeah, so I don't know. Where do you want to start with this? I think we should maybe start by defining what it is and what yeah. we mean by a character archetype and, and maybe talk about what it's not. Because when I, I think about some of my characters, which I think I do use, you know, character archetypes pretty effectively, but I think yeah. I also use like a stock character here and there yep. that is not an archetype, that is really just kind of a shallow character. Yep. To like say something quickly and then move on. Yeah, I mean, as, as you said, for like the story you know, archetype, is, it's just a model, right? It's a it's a basis of recurring or notably recurring, uh, maybe behaviors, emotions, and 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 uh, you know, character types across like a human experience, right? And they kind of we were just talking about it, it was like it's been pulled from you know kind of Plato had some initial theories with this, you know, ideas, and then Carl Jung obviously kind of p- extracted that and put it in for you know psycho psychoanalysis um, and kind of like these very specific buckets of human behavior. And then from there, from the literary side, more popular, obviously our buddy Joey Campbell there kind of really made it big with the hero's journey and, and big Joe, big Joe, big Joe Campbell. And he kind of took Carl Jung's archetypes and put them into a more literary um, sense, but they all kind of fall. And you can Google around, right? There will be like, here are Uh, eight character archetypes. Here are 12 (laughs) character archetypes. Here's 300 character (laughs) archetypes. So once again, it's just, just like the story archetypes. It's a, a tool to use to help you begin to think about your characters and, and their journey. It's funny. I was, um, I just watched a uh, quick tangent, um, Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. uh, with the kids classic. And, um, was it Dan Aykroyd had written it. Mm-hmm. He'd based it a bit on wizard of Oz and on those kind of character okay. archetypes of like, you know, like the, the hero. And obviously like, um, even though he didn't use, you know, Joseph Campbell's archetypes, he yeah. did use, character models on another piece of literary fiction to kind of meet the the leads there yeah yeah whether it be the cowardly lion which is bravery or you know like the tin man which is heart and it's neat to see and when you choose those really simple broad touch points for the reader i think it's really easy for them to identify like all of a sudden you understand the character because you've got years of literary and, and and like visual fiction behind you you understand the ghostbusters and almost immediately. I think yeah. the same thing could be said for the characters in Harry Potter. Yep. You you understand them immediately between like hero's journey, comic relief, like the smart one who's like, so it's, um, it's almost like a shorthand to 
explain your characters quickly. Yeah, I mean, it, the idea of an archetype is it creates that immediate sense of familiarity, right? Like that. So it allows like an audience or, or a reader to to relate to like an event or a character without like having to necessarily like wonder why they relate. So it's just kind of like this instant yeah. interaction. You'd like immediately connect. You're like, okay, I can get this character. I understand what they are, who they are. And I can say for genre fiction, I think that's incredibly important. You know, I've read mm. some where there's no delineation. There's no variation between characters. Yeah. Because they're not, there, it doesn't feel like there's touch points for them. So I get confused very quickly. Like I had read Bird Box, which is a good book, but I had no idea who was doing what in that house because the characters to me, at least at the time, felt so similar. Yeah. And I think variance is important to keep a reader invested. Yeah. And I think the other side of archetypes, using them to to, to develop your characters um, is you, you, you get away from your character being the author, being you, being the writer. Mm -hmm. You've got this mold of something that has like a basis for their behaviors and their weaknesses uh, that might not be yours. And then that kind of informs how they're going to react or make a decision with within the plot or whatever obstacles thrown at them. So it's not you being like, well, what would I do in this situation? Like, no one cares. It's not a memoir, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah. I'll say like mentally what I had a hard part with, because I think I went in without character archetypes in mind. Really, yeah. I wasn't like, in I didn't have any intentionality behind the choices that I had. Yeah. But like naturally, I had like the jester kind of come out one of the characters and, you know, it, it kind of happened. And then as it was happening, I was a little concerned that is this a cliche? Is this mm -hmm. an oversimplification of a character? And then if so, how do I iterate on it and make it a little more complex? And I think that's a really fine line between archetype and maybe stereotype or archetype and cliche. Like I don't know, yeah. right? Like yeah. that that's where it gets really into the weeds where you want to make sure that yes, you're using touch points, but you're not copy pasting. Yeah. And I, I, like, as we said, like what, what, what isn't an archetype and you just said, like, it's not a stereotype, it's not a cliche or a stock character, but yeah, I agree. There is a fine line because you go from the line of, of judgment, uh, and, you know, and bucketing a character into, into a certain behavior versus like using that as the basis for them to make a decision. If that makes sense. I have like probably <laughs> four stock characters in mind, right? Not intentionally. And they're window dressing. Like it's who the mains bounce off of. I've got like a general super stock character it's like yeah. straight from akira or any 1980s movie i've got like a misogynistic clerk i've got the parents you know the kind yeah. of 1980s parents with not too much difference but to, like yeah. they just don't stand out that they're there for like the main characters to kind of bounce off of yep and that's maybe for better and worse i'm not saying that's as a tip i'm just saying that could be a potential weakness of mine that, that there's just not enough variance between them and so but i think my main characters have enough they've got their backstories and they've got their own motivations they're like very very fleshed out yeah. but the stock characters they aren't i've got the same thing i've got my stock general i've got my stock sheriff from a town i've got my stock uh yeah i mean they're like the typically these secondary characters um but my yeah. my four main four four five like main and sec I should say, I think it's primary and secondary characters and the, the stock characters are more like these, you know, NPCs. <laughs> um, they definitely fall within buckets. Uh, yeah. Each one of these archetypes, which I didn't really think about until afterwards. Um, and they didn't develop into that, which is kind of interesting because I didn't think about it when I was going through subsequent drafts. Um, I wasn't in my mind thinking like, oh, this character is a jester. Let me write them that way. It's just they came out that way after going through drafts and people reading it, which kind of reinforces the whole idea of an archetype and people relating to characters based on these behaviors. So, yeah, 
kind of fun to just naturally come come about that. So, but it's not one of those things, right? I think that it's always this hindsight twenty twenty. Had I known then what I know now, I would have been more intentional. Like, yes, I like that there is some kind of organic development of characters as you're writing them. Yeah, but it would have been helpful to start. I think you know because, like I said, like I've got um you know, supporting character who really turns into kind of a jester. And that that came out naturally through his dialogue and his decision making. But I when I put, you know, pen to pad initially, that wasn't intentional. I, I didn't know that was going to happen. Same thing. <laughs> I mean, you probably I mean, you probably remember like uh, Jake, like he's like this, you know, support character for Elliot. And he didn't become he was kind of just there as like smart guy helping plot stuff. But I was going to say, because in the beta that I read, he is not that he is the smart yeah. guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's smart guy, and now it's like he's got this humor, this sense of this, you know, he's a little more gestury, still smart guy, but he's got like the the humor. He brings the comic relief, and that all came from my my mom. She was just like, you need to make these two characters interact like actual friends would, and have them be a little more witty, you know. Yeah. Um, and then I'm realizing, oh yeah, he's kind of my jester. He's my comic relief in a way. Yeah, and and I will say, just like story archetypes, it's probably fine to mix and match different archetypes because i think yeah if we're getting into like the list that we have on master class like yeah. the first one they have is like the lover right the kind of romantic my jester has some aspects of that archetype so yeah i don't think it needs to be like square peg square hole necessarily i think that there can be it's probably fine for these characters to be multi-dimensional because we're we all are in yeah. a way it's probably more relatable do you think a character can shift from being one archetype into another midway through a story or is that too much I think it needs to be super intentional and earned. Yeah. I mean, one again, once again, who am I? Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> it, 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 I'm, I'm Tim. I don't You're know. Tim. I'd say, I'd say I introduced as a you reader, in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> as a reader, I would like it to be really intentional and super earned, or I think it'd be a little confusing because, you know, reading a book is almost like it's sometimes it's really hard to get your bearings of, oh, who is who or what did they do? And if your characters start shifting, yeah, you know, without it being really intentionally laid out, it, it could really confuse the reader as to where they are. Yeah, so, yeah. And I mean, obviously, did... our mains change to a certain extent, right? But but not like their their core being like they yeah they change a flaw or something that's wrong with them, but not necessarily like going from a lover to the hero or. But you could combine those things. I don't know, like you. Yeah, to me, it'd be a little weird. I think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that like. The main character changes and evolves by interacting with these other character archetypes and, and brings pieces of those characters into themselves to become a more complete version of yeah. like, I mean, I think that's like the kind of character machine like we always talk about they're going through. And I think they, they start as not complete. And then yeah. by operating in the world, they they fill up. I don't think they change. They just expand if that makes sense no i no i agree and i think doing i i agree with doing it within one story would be a little abrasive but it's kind of interesting you look at and it's whatever because we always we always come back to star wars but like luke skywalker like he starts out as a hero but later on becomes in other iterations of the films and the shows and everything else becomes the magician or the mentor to other characters right so he kind sure. of shifts from being the hero to being the obi-wan or whatever right so i mean i'd say if you're dealing with like this disgusting soup with 19 chefs you know cooking it yeah. that your ingredients are going to taste a little different at the end but i think <laughs> when you look at like george lucas and yeah. his arc for luke although i do think that he planned luke to become an obi-wan type character later yeah but he's definitely a hero like yeah he's definitely a hero. 
He's, he's yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's Star Wars is, is Joseph, Joey Campbell there. Big Joey Campbell's, uh, Big Joe's journey to the T. Like there's no, <laughs> it's not much straying away from that there. So, yeah, but you're right. I think, yeah, I think they can change. And the way that I team mine up, I, I do think that some characters who are possibly antagonistic yeah. can, can change roles in the future. I just think in, in one novel, it could be a little, a little difficult to do that. If I'm yeah. thinking back to like yeah. books I've read, like, uh, Neuromancer and you know Mona Lisa Overdrive and what else Count Zero. There's this like trilogy of cyberpunk books, the Sprawl trilogy that Gibson had written, and um, he takes one of his characters, Molly Millions, who's a little similar to uh, one of your mains to yeah. uh, Lilo. She changes very much, yeah, um, from the first book to Neuromancer into the second book. Like her character shifts pretty significantly, yeah. Um, but it's earned. It feels intentional. Well, do you want to get into the 12? We were not going to do the whole 201 different character types, uh, archetypes. Yeah, so. I don't know if do you is that if you can have that. Can you have that many? That... I, I, think, I think you can get rid of the arc and just say types. Types. Yeah. Types. But yeah, two... archetypes infers that it's a broad, it's a... arching overview of yes. Archie. multiple. Archie types. <laughs> Archie types. So yeah, I don't know if you can have 201. I think that's kind of clickbaity. Yeah, I think, yeah, once you get into that category, you're just, what are you doing? And even the book, I have a book here that says 45 master characters. And I was like, whoa, that's... But is it they say archetype or do they say character types? Which I think are different. Uh, well, so they do, it. no, this is a base, this is based on archetype. Like the opening page is, just talks about archetypes and like what they are. And this is based on like, you know, the Greek gods and stuff like this. And then they they break it out into like, a female male version, which I'm like, all right, you just need to fill pages. Like instead yeah, of being like, pages. A, like we don't want to like, have, we can't sell a brochure for yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a 20 page book, but it's like, yeah. all right, I could just read the, the one. So, yeah. um, but yeah, that guy to low content books, you know, get them out there, get these 10, 15 pages. Yeah. It's 45 different books you could have done for, you know, <laughs> 99 cents a pop done franchising. Yeah. Right. Come on. <laughs> Um, all right, so should you should we get into the twelve common character archetypes? Let's get into here? the twelve common. Why don't we just focus on just 12. the master class ones? Since yeah, yeah, I think there's a million, but there's I a million. It, and another again, we I think we said this for the story ones. You're always going to see someone else's take on like the naming of these things. Uh, probably said at the top there, but someone might call the innocent the child or whatever. So, all right, so for the first one, we're gonna we're gonna go through again. These aren't any like particular order uh the lover that's one you know archetype right uh typically the romantic lead who's guided by the heart you probably see a lot of rom-coms uh romeo and juliet that's you know some examples uh scarlet o'hara um bell from beauty and the beast pretty straightforward yeah i think so you'll find them in you know romance novels you'll find them in dramas a lot of the uh old disney movies you know the princesses and stuff like this <laughs> yeah yep um and, and then once again, like if we're thinking about touch points, right? Super relatable. I think it's an aspect of everybody's personality that one of our goals is to find love and connection. And uh, so then after that, you got the the hero, which again, this this is pretty common here. It's going to be a protagonist who rises to meet a challenge and saves the day. Pretty simple. Obviously, we just mentioned one earlier, like Luke Skywalker's one, Harry Potter, uh, Wonder Woman. You're going to have like a lot of superhero movies. Uh, yeah, I mean, Katniss. Hero. You know, Katniss, I think that's. Yep. I think whenever I think of. Like honestly, any superhero book or movie or anything, right? It's they're driven by courage, can fall victim to overconfidence or hubris. Now, but this this would also <laughs> I see what you did there. Well done. We're gonna see we're gonna see if we can keep doing this all the way. Uh, so the, I mean, the hero again, 
in other in other buckets here, this would probably also be like known as the one, maybe or no? Yeah, it would be like the one, right? Like yeah. the like the uh, the Messiah type of thing. So maybe like Paul Trades, uh, you know, falls in that. Oh, category, totally. Yeah. Right? Um, well, in in Dune, but I say when when you get to Messiah to the it, sequel. It's, he changes characters. He changes. Back to your point, he turns into the sage, right? Yeah. Yep. Totally um, does. Spoiler alert for those who haven't read, you know, Frank Herbert's Dune. But can I say w- one bit about the um, the hero, which is interesting because I think in my in my book, and I've said this before, I've got some characters who had this book been written at a different time by a different person would be the hero, like, and that mm-hmm. would be the main. I have like these a couple male leads who take these hero qualities mm-hmm. um but i use them kind of as foils and i lean a lot more into their weaknesses into their overconfidence yep. um into their kind of brashness um and it's not helpful in this situation so i use the heroes here but i don't use them to be heroic in a way their counterpoints and that was yeah. always very intentional from the beginning um now i wasn't using it as a character archetype to do it just like oh like i just wanted to critique male competition and hubris and leadership and what it takes to get out of a jam as opposed to glorify it which i I grew up with which is great you know i grew up with it but there's room for other stories so i say that all to say you can have characters that fit this mold that aren't necessarily the main character or the hero yes just be yeah you know sub characters in harry potter you've got the gary oldman character in the books it's serious black and i think he Mm. plays a heroic character Mm -hmm. who is completely undone by the weaknesses Mm. right he like Mm -hmm. he latches on to his own youth as kind of a heroic brash kid and it ends up being what gets him killed in the books and Mm. i loved that i thought that was like really really well handled and a really nice take on that heroic character so there's nuance to it um yeah it's not just so it doesn't always need to just be the lead i mean the matrix uses character archetypes like Oh God. When you get to like the <laughs> trinity of characters, whether it be like they're referencing religion or Joseph Campbell or the anime or even Neuromancer, which we brought up before, which the it's Molly Millions so character <laughs> is is straight up the Trinity character. Like yes. Molly Millions is Trinity, period. Yep. Um and the and they're both using the same character archetypes, at least in act one. Yeah. But then Trinity turns kind of into a lover, right? Which is something that Molly Millions never does. Yeah, it's yeah, she does in the in the sequels again. Like they change they yeah. they change their their archetype over over the over the sequels. But it's probably also as the characters change as they meet each other and whatever. But we'll save that for a ho- holiday special. <laughs> well, I think it's that's a fine transition to the next the next archetype because after the hero we've got the magician and I feel like or was I was saying the sage before. A powerful figure who has harnessed the ways of the universe to achieve key goals. It's kind of like the quick one-liner. Some examples um Gandalf, right, from Lord of the Rings. Morpheus from the Matrix, and they do have listed Darth Vader from Star Wars. Are we still a little on on the fence on that one? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess it, it could work. It seems like maybe the magician is a little bit of a soft counterpoint to the sage. Mm. You know, it seems like there's something more corruptible about the magician than there is from the sage. Like yeah. there's a bit of weakness. So if I'm trying to think like literary, like then you'd probably put like Voldemort. In mm-hmm. here, as opposed to putting Dumbledore in here, yeah, who is not corruptible, right? It almost it's feels like, like it's leaning towards the magician. Almost feels like it's leaning towards like a more villainous type of. I even know they have Gandalf in here, but it's like you know what I mean. Like it feels like 
Well, I think Gandalf's there because honestly, and so would be, if you're looking at the books, so would Galadriel. It, they're mm -hmm. still victim to temptation. They're not 100% in the white. They yeah. can come back and be resurrected as, like maybe the argument is at the beginning of the book of Lord of the Rings, Gandalf the, the Grey, I'm sorry, Gandalf, yeah, Gandalf the Grey yep. is a magician. And then when he faces his test, declines the ring, fights the Balrog, and then becomes resurrected as Gandalf the White, Gandalf the White would be the sage. Mm. Because he's no longer corruptible. That's what it feels like to me. Um, yeah. yeah. There does seem to be a little bit of nef potential nefariousness to the magician character, where it could be a... Now, I'll say that I have a character who lands firmly in here, and, and they're an antagonist, not a protagonist. Yeah, and I guess they, they have that because their typical weaknesses, I mean, you mentioned but you know, to corruptibility and, and arrogance, which can lead to you, you know, to the, yeah, I think, to, I think to the that's dark the, side. <laughs> yeah. Th I think that's exactly what it is though, dude. Like, I'm, and I'm yeah. sure like when Lucas was writing, you know, it was those that can be corrupted. Yeah. Fallen, fallen to this, this kind of large archetype differentiates it from the sage. So we'll get to the sage in a minute. So moving on to the next one, we've got the outlaw. I guess when I, when you at the top, right, you know, you'd said how I was feeling. I felt like I said the rogue. I guess I mm. meant the outlaw. Yeah. So the rebel who won't buy by society's demands. Um, yeah. I won't listen to your demands, Russ. I'm not going to prepare for this podcast. I'm not going to use your spreadsheets. Okay. Yeah. And it shows, Tim. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what editing I have to do for this episode now? Uh, some of the obvious examples in this one are Han Solo, uh, Dean Moriarty, uh, the Batman. Independent thinkers, potentially criminal, self-involved. So mm -hmm. Lilo would fall under this as a rebel outlaw. Yeah. Is that, do you think, is that where Elizabeth Salander, is that, did I pronounce that right? Salander? I think so. I don't know. Salander. Is she falling there too? I, yeah, I think so too. Yeah, definitely. I keep coming back to Molly Millions. I think she, you know, falls in here pretty firmly. Yeah. Uh, fun character to write, I think. Yeah, there is. Because I think there's a certain amount of, you know, cockiness and arrogance. And I think that's. It's fun to read and it's fun to write. Well, because it's behaviors that you potentially shouldn't do in real life. Like, don't yeah. be a self-involved asshole, basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. But read about it. But read about it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, everyone wants to be the, you know, the, the, you know, the, the cocky rebel uh, scum who's, you know. <laughs> it's funny, though, because when I'm like, Transporting illegal you know, cargo, you know, but. When you're stuck at like some awkward housewarming party and a, per and a person who is self-involved and is potentially criminal. I don't want to talk to him. No, I don't. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'd like I'm to like, read about them. Yes. I'm like there's so many red flags there. I gotta, yeah. I'm going to go get some more dip over here. I'll see you. So <laughs> I'll tell you, man, in New Jersey, I deal a lot of, a lot with the outlaw conversations. I, <laughs> <laughs> you don't say down in Jersey, <laughs> please go on. All right. So moving on to uh, the Explorer. Uh, so this is, character naturally driven to push the boundaries of the status quo and explore the unknown. Some examples, got Huckleberry Finn, a little going old school here, Sherlock Holmes, uh, Sal Paradise on the road. I don't know who that is. Yeah. Yeah, so I read that. Odysseus, which that's kind of interesting one from the, uh, from the Odyssey. Uh, I guess, yeah, Explorer. You know, I, I mean, well, you can split hairs all day, right? But Sherlock Holmes has a direct analog to Batman. Yeah. And so Outlaw and Explorer are interesting, right? Like they're, they, once again, I think you can do a little bit of bucket A and a little bit of bucket B. It makes me wonder. So if you look at, it's interesting. Cause again, I, there's the, I think you're right with the splitting. Cause if you go to the, our, our buddy, Joey Campbell here and his character archetypes from the hero with a thousand faces, you know, he applied 
ideas from Sir James, you know, George Fraser and Carl Jung and combine them, all those, those thoughts of behaviors and character, or human uh, archetypes and behaviors. And he, he has just eight. Mm. And it's kind of interesting to see, like, now we've got 12 and it's like, people are kind of splitting these out. And again, I don't know if it's like a, do we need to do this to, to make it our own thing, right? He's got the hero, he's got the mentor, which would be the sage in this list. Um, the ally, the herald, trickster, shapeshifter, guardian, and shadow. Um, and this feels like we're, we're finding a lot of like overlap, but I agree. Like the explorer guess, I mean, wouldn't that, couldn't that just be your hero? Could some of these, these you mm. know, strengths, I guess it, it just feels weird. Like the strengths they have listed is like curious, driven, you know, weaknesses, restless, unreliable, never satisfied. This feels like a break off. You know what I mean? Yeah. And once again, I think it's just, it's a tool. And if you find it a little, like, obviously don't be as granular as the 201 or whatever it was, but (laughs) like looking at these and looking at like the granular, like how granular it is with weaknesses and strengths, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like when you look at those moments, but when it's broadly like talking about character examples to me is where I see a ton of overlap. And I think that's, once again, it's, it's okay for, for you to choose a couple buckets. Um, Yeah. All right, so moving on, we were ready for it. The sage, the sage is wise figure with knowledge for those who inquire. The mother figure or mentor is often based on this archetype. The mother figure, let's see. So strengths, they've got wisdom, experience, insight, mm-hmm. weakness is caution, and hesitant to join the action. Okay. They've got Athena, Obi Wan, mm-hmm. the Oracle from the Matrix, and Hannibal, Hannibal Lecter. Lecter. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about Hannibal Lecter as being a sage. Wouldn't that be more magician? They seem <sighs> corrupted. Yeah. <laughs> but it, yeah. I, I, is I he hesitant to join the action or is he locked up for most of the book until he eats all the guards? Eats his way out of the situation. Eats his way out of the situation. Yeah. I, I don't like. I don't agree with this one. Um, yeah. I don't agree with this one. I mean, there's aspects of him being like a mentor to her and like helping her on her journey. But like, yeah, he's not like hesitant to actually join the action. Like he just wants to escape prison, and eat people like. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's yeah. In a way, he's playing a long game to get out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which is I mean, if you can't compare that character to like the Oracle <laughs> in the Matrix, <laughs> you can compare him to Darth Vader, maybe. So I think what we're saying is by going through this list, long, long story short, whatever you get out of this is that everything is kind of, you know, moldable and these are just models, right? And these can fall into whatever bucket just works for you. But yeah. I'm, I'm going to hard to disagree with the Hannibal Lecter as a, as a sage, but maybe there is some mentor factors in there, but there's yeah. so many, there's so many other better examples. I just leave that one out. I think so. I'll leave that one out. <laughs> I leave them out. Oh my goodness. But Obi-Wan is definitely a sage mentor. I mean, you could argue obviously. maybe, maybe in Red Dragon. Oh God. Because <laughs> he, he stays yeah. locked up for the majority of that one. All of that one, I believe. I anyway. Okay, I moving on. It. I ain't buying it. Um, all right. So next one, this is the seventh one here. Uh, the innocent or also known as the child in other lists. I'm sure you'll see if you start Googling this stuff around. Description, a morally pure character, often a child whose only intentions are good. Mm. Uh, so you get, you get the nice ones like Tiny Tim from A Christmas Carol, Buddy the Elf from Elf. This one feels potentially almost like a stock character. No, I agree. And I'll say that I have this character in my book. Yeah. And beta readers were like, hey, cut that chapter. And I was like, no, 
I like them. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I leaned so hard into like the innocence yeah. and the morality. And also just that since they're young, they're not skilled. Yeah. Really. They can't do stupid. much. They're weak. <laughs> they're vulnerable. <laughs> they're naive. They're rarely skilled. Yeah. Do you have this character in your book at all? No. No. There seems to be a little bit as we're talking about overlap over and over again. I think the child or the whatever it is here, the innocent, the innocent. Yeah. and the everyman, when we get to the everyman, I think your main is an everyman. Yeah. yeah. As opposed to an every child. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the everyman is definitely where you he, he'd probably fall more into. But looking at like, again, there's that's why there's like a, this line of like, well, he does have some of these aspects, but yeah. Um, so that's the innocent, uh, the eighth one, the creator, the motivated visionary who creates art or structures during the narrative. Hmm. Um, some examples, Zeus there from Iliad, Doc yeah, Emmett okay. Brown from Back to the Future. Okay. Dr. Moreau. Yeah, that's cool. And Doc uh, Vicky Frankenstein, Victor Frankenstein. It's pronounced Frankenstein. I like this one. I don't think I use this one, but I like the creator. Tipping into the strengths of me, creativity, willpower, conviction, weaknesses self-involved single-mindedness lack of practical skills yeah okay yeah they're focused on just their creation at the expense yeah. of the world around them it's weird because you'd, you'd think that as part of the creator that one of their weaknesses would also be hubris mm. like because of that they must have some like overconfidence or self-confidence and like in their single-mindedness to create yeah they're not thinking about the implications of their creation on the world like the people who are working on ai right now i was just, just <laughs> that's the creator moving on to the ninth one here we get the ruler character with legal or emotional power over others uh we get some old school examples here um king lear from self-titled king lear uh tony soprano from the sopranos um sounds more in the Obviously, kind of more villain state. Yeah, I mean, Lear's not necessarily a villain, but no. But I agree that 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 you can use you know this archetype as that kind of antagonist. If you use this for a villain, it become almost a like stereotype for a villain because it's like, oh, they've got legal or emotional power over others, and it's like, oh, that's what every villain's got. But maybe having something yeah. more nuanced for how maybe someone gets that or why they want that. Yep. Uh, the 10th one, we get the caregiver character who continually supports others and makes sacrifices on their behalf. This sounds like a, just a support character, but Samuel Tarley from Game of Thrones series. Okay. Yeah. Mary Poppins. These are all over the place. Calpurnia to kill Mockingbird. Okay. So that's something that'd be like a Sam Gamgee in the, in like Lord of the Rings type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, their weakness is lacking some personal ambition or leadership. So it feels very much like a support character versus like you wouldn't have this be like a main character. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. I think it it's, feel like it it'd be one maybe supporting your main. Yeah. Unless uh, you want to write around it, but I, I'd say it, it's an easier fit for a support character. Yeah. Um, and then uh, 11 is the everyman, a relatable character who feels rec recognizable from daily life. You got your Bilbo Baggins, your Leopold Bloom. You got your Leslie Nope from Parks and Rec. That's a good one. Um, mm. Got my character, Elliot. Yeah, I think you're right. That's, this is definitely where he's more... Uh, Elliot from from host. <laughs> yeah, um, like they're lacking special powers, often unprepared for what's to come, which I think is would you, just the be the beginning of most characters arcs at, at, in the start of a story, right? They're not yeah. ready yet. Uh, so the, the last one, the, the 12th is the is the jester. So yeah, how, how I'm feeling today. 
which is a funny character trickster who provides comic relief, but may also speak important truths. That's how I feel all the time. I'm always speaking important truths, and you know that. Yep. You are often funny, yep. disarming, and insightful. Thank you. But you can be obnoxious and superficial at times. Hey, what? <laughs> oh, you so I see what you did. <laughs> Those are my weaknesses, yes. Some of the archetype examples, King Lear's Fool, which is that's a little on point there. R2 and C- C-3PO from Star Wars, right? Mm-hmm. I think Harry Potter's got Ron's brothers who are very much jesters. Mm-hmm. And if we're looking at what I'm reading now with my kids, Lord of the Rings, we've got Merry and Pippin, who are yeah. very much like jester characters. I've got a B character who's very much a, a jester. And honestly, as I think about it more and more, my lead's probably in every man or in every woman. Yeah. Um, more more of that than a hero. Um, yeah. Now, I don't think that they're particularly relatable to anybody who isn't mentally thinking about their teens. Yep. But it's supposed to be in every woman for teenagers. Yeah, I definitely have my B character. Jake is definitely a jester. Elliot falls in the everyman character. My uh, my sage and or mentor would definitely be uh, Dr. Keating for Elliot. And I would even say uh, Lilo, she definitely falls in the outlaw rebel category. And these, it's funny, because like I said, and these didn't think about these outright about applying these to the characters. They just kind of fell into those, those buckets. It's just those patterns that we've all watched and read, you know, they kind of make an imprint. They on come you. through. They and, come and through. you know, what we've experienced in life and what we like. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, 100%. you can take an obnoxious dinner guest and turn them into a really likable outlaw. But yeah. It, getting back to the jester, this character archetype is not very present in horror. Um, it's very present in my horror story. But um, I like it a lot. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's not been very present in what I've been reading lately, other than obviously like Lord of the Rings, where I do think Merry and Pippin are like really developed versions of this character archetype. Um, so yeah, that's that's generally the 12. If you Google it, you're going to come across this list everywhere. Um, the titles and names will be a little bit different. I'm I, like, I, I'm some of these, I like I, as we've gone through them and thought about them, um, clearly there's some fine lines between where characters can fall, but that's fine. Again, it's just a basis, a starting point to separate yourself from who your characters are and give you a little direction for maybe the decisions and, 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 you know, things that they'll encounter, uh, decisions they'll make. Separate your characters from one another, right? I mean, yes. definitely get them yeah. away from the, 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 the author. Cause you don't want this to be an autobiographical piece. Yep. I mean, obviously you use touch points from your own life, but but then there should be some variance between your characters because when you're changing that chapter, or if you're ever switching POV, they should be different. You yeah. know, I, I think, I think it's, it's a little more exciting to read. And I know oh, sometimes, 100%. right? Like I'll get into a book and then like, I'll be back like chapter 12 will roll around. I'll be back into my favorite characters POV. And I'm like, just psyched to be back, mm-hmm. you know, with that character. And it's because yep. there is so much uniqueness. Um, and I do think this is a really nice, tool or starting point for you to start to build unique characters and iterate and mix and match i think there's two ways you can do it right there's the ways that we did it which was wrong you can (laughs) do the plot out and then let the plot tell you what your characters need and then they fill out right i mean in theory like the plot can begin to shape your characters and develop them but that takes tons of editing and rewrites and like retrofitting motivation and character moments, which is like, that's my life right now. Like I'm rounding out draft six and I'm like, oh my goodness, like they are consistent and they have motivation and they fit into these character archetypes now. I really wish I started that way because building the plot and having it 
pour into these characters was yeah i mean it changed them right and it was fun to see how they changed and evolved but they could have started out a little more structured yeah with a little more intentionality and i think it would have saved me a lot of time would it be the same book i can't tell you it's like magic i, I was, don't know <laughs> i was just gonna say like if you had all those things ahead of time there's all of a sudden the changes you're making later on is it just refining or or you discover something new within a story you want to tell but i, I again i agree I, the way we approached it was not the right way uh, but you learn that's but what, i'd say like i wouldn't happens. have done it any other way because this has been such a learning process Mm-hmm. And but I can't. I mean, it'll be nice when I finish my second book, like because I'll be able to say what one do I think stronger? Like yeah. what approach worked best for my story? Yeah, and like for the enjoyment. So I, I don't know. I, I can say from a time saving, sanity preserving perspective, planning really would have helped. Yeah, but at yep. the end of the day, I don't know if this sausage is going to taste any better than the next one. <laughs> you know, based on it. Wrapping up my 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 prep and planning for book two focusing on characters and focusing on their weaknesses and strengths and kind of having these buckets that they fought, these archetypes that they land in and using those, I feel so much stronger about where yeah. things are going to go. And I feel so much com- more comfortable in the shoes of each of these characters when I get into a chapter and I start writing yeah. for them um, that I didn't have with the first book. And I can already, I can already feel and tell that this will be a better, it'll still just be an improvement. You know, it'll be like a, I got a question for you. So as we talk about plot shaping character, right? Now that you are starting with character archetypes and have a like a more robust understanding of the characters that are going to begin this journey that you're planning out, have you noticed that the planning of your characters is influencing story? Like are these weaknesses and strengths affecting plot points? Yes. Very cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, Especially when I sat down and started mapping out, you know, I had all the characters and I had an idea of, I, I knew where they're going to end. I knew they're going to start. Um, and then once I started getting into like the nitty gritty of moving them around and kind of playing with the plot that I had, I was like, Oh, this isn't going to work. Cause this isn't what they would do. Like this decision they're going to make, they're going to go here. They're going to do this because this is what they need to do to survive and or solve their goal or with the thing that they think they need. And I was like, that is going to completely change my plot around. <laughs> and then I was making adjustments that way. Um, so yeah, definitely. That's really cool. Doing it this way, it feels much more natural to adjust the plot and the story. Because of this, I've changed like the focus of it. Like originally it was like I had this big plot idea and like it's gonna be to take down the bad guy, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wait, no, there's a smaller B story in here that's way more interesting that I think I want to focus on. And that's gonna be mm-hmm. like the the climax. That's gonna be like, and that the came finishing. from your focus on characters. Yep, hundred percent. Because I I I had created a, now my quote unquote villain here. And the opening prologue I wrote, and I love it, and I can't wait to get into it, you know, a bit more. And I was like, wait a second, if this is going to be my opening prologue, like this is a promise I'm setting up for people. This should be the focus is the story of this book. Sure, I can have these other bigger arching things that I'll play off in like another book, but the story, this story in particular is going to be focused on on this aspect. Um, and yeah, definitely completely changed how I, where I'm putting people and where they're, where they're going and why they're going to certain places. So, um, but that all came back to just having the characters, having their, you know, motivations and everything beforehand. So I think we're, I think that's it, right? Are we, we're done. We've, we've covered, we've covered all the, the archetypes. Um, I, I think I would highly recommend if, if you're out there and you're interested, I would definitely recommend checking out the hero of thousand faces, Joseph Campbell's kind of, initial basis for the the eight 
uh, yeah. archetypes. Um, because you'll see once you read those, you're like, oh, all these, the 12s, the 14s, the 200, any more than 12 or 14 is <laughs> just stop. Please just stop. So Russ, quick check in here yeah. at the top of the hour or of the 30 minutes, mm-hmm. you were feeling like a jester. I was. Now that you've yeah. gone through this transformational podcast. Mm-hmm. How do you feel now? Well, I feel like a mentor to you, uh, Tim. Yeah, I think you're my sage, dude. (laughs) And you know what that's making me feel like a little bit? Yeah, what's that? A lover. Oh, okay. Interesting. (laughs) I'm sure I feel about that. (laughs) You feel honored. I do. Look at your weaknesses. I don't know. (laughs) Let's see. As the mentor, my weaknesses are... You're cautious, hesitant. I'm I'm, I'm not sure I feel about this. I'm not sure I want to join the action. (laughs) But we'll see. We'll see. My wisdom and experience will tell me what to do. Yeah. So I think that that's. Uh, well, what have you been? What do you? What have you been reading and watching? I'm kind of a broken record for the reading. I'm still kind of plugging through. Um, mm. You know that Nick Cutter book, and then um, I'm just about done with the Two Towers with the kids. As far Thanks. as watching, I'm trying to think if I've seen anything worth writing home about lately. Mm. I don't think that I have since our last our last talk. I've been yeah. probably gaming more than I've been watching lately. Yeah, I've been doing the the Spidermans, the Spidermans two, Spidermans two, nice, nice. That's fun. And, uh, and Baldur's Gate, oh. a lot of questing. Ooh, a lot of questing, a lot of tasks, a lot of task runner. A lot of tasks, and yeah. mostly what I've been doing right when I'm looking at my free time, I am editing. Yes. I am so deep in editing, yes. and um, this is a quick kind of pulse check. You know, we had a podcast months ago about goals, <laughs> and you know, prioritization of goals and how you can't do everything. And it, it helped me, you know, to think about that because I cut off things that are important to me. Like I had to cut off like a lot of exercise and and running and I had to cut off a little bit of like TV watching, um, so I could focus on writing. And even though like physically I do feel like I'm capable of doing all of the things mentally, the mental load of tasking and and in making lists of all my priorities, I was not able to focus on on the work and giving that headspace. Now, like I wake up in the morning before work mm. and I edit. Work's yeah. over and before dinner, I'll edit. And yeah. those are moments, right? Even if it's an hour, two hours, those are moments that I would fill with other things or, or I would just be burned out from over being, being overplanned. So yeah, yeah. Um, editing it right now is is my hobby. Mm. Um, and then late night, you know, my brain's mush is when I've been logging on with friends to game. Yeah. Getting the Baldur's so, Gate tasks done. <laughs> getting those tasks done. More questing. How about you? What are you reading? What are you watching? Uh, well, I'm going to start with what I'm reading because I can't wait to tell you what I'm watching because the day has come and we're going to have, we're going to have uh, a quick little, little ranty argument. It'll, we're going to keep it tight though. Uh, but I've been, I'm, I'm at like 65% through the girl with dragon tattoo. Cool. Um, very much enjoying it's, it. It's it's interesting because like I'm I'm very much I've seen the movies the original and I've seen the the remake Fincher remake which I really loved um, I never read the book said read the book the movies are very very close to to the, to the book um, and uh, which is impressive and nice it's interesting to read this though and we talked a little bit about, I think the last time like this was his first book this author right Stieg Stieg Larsson's um, I think he was a writer right he had done like a, some journalism yeah. and some research projects he co-authored a few things but I think as far as big fiction goes this this is it yeah and his background in journalism and, and research certainly shows through in, in the book um, how so 
the backstory for these characters, Tim, I can't imagine having like, I know, I think I mentioned the last time, like the last episode, I'm like, I'm 60% through like 60, about 55, 60% through the book. Finally, Elizabeth and, and, uh, uh, Bloomquist like meet and they finally connect and start working together like halfway, more than halfway through the book. Um, but the backstory for the family that he's investigating and doing this research on is so in depth and so intense. And I'm just trying to picture my spreadsheets. Just they would they would they would <laughs> melt. They would just overload. Like, do you think uh, it's teed up for world world building specifically, or is it for payoff that's going I, to come? I think it's for payoff, and it's for I mean, it's a mystery, right? And I think that's part of the the the, the genre expectation is you've got this deep. You know, the world is the is the mystery of the characters and who's who's involved and how did you know who's doing what and who's being shady. It sounds like it sounds like there's no mystery. It sounds like it's all biography. Uh I mean no, there is mystery. It's set up, but the point is that you're deep diving to this family and then just the connections that he's built between all the family members and what they do. I'm like, holy That's cool. smokes. Yeah, no, it's really cool. Um and it's not it's an easy read. Like I'm kind of motoring through it. Um, so it's not, so, so even the biography is not a slog. No, it's it's like no. Oh, I was cool. I was expecting it to be kind of boring. I'm just like, wow, this is a lot. Um, definitely put your research in, and definitely put the time into building all of these characters down to the T, which I think pays off because you're like really invested in the world and kind of really pulls you in. So, um, but man, it's 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 a lot. Um, but it's but it's moving along. So I'm, does, I'm does enjoying Lipis it. Get, does the main get the same treatment with her biography, or is she more mysterious? Um, she's a little more, she, no, she gets, she gets plenty of time. I would, I think Bloomquist is kind of the main character and she's more of a secondary character. Uh, oh, but, interesting. Yeah. Or maybe they, or maybe they kind of play like dual mains. She's got like this B story thing that's running alongside his, but the majority is him in the first half of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she comes in, in in the second half and now they're kind of teamed together. So I think there'll be a little more focus on her, but like, I'm enjoying it. I'll be done, done with it before the next, uh, next episode, probably. Uh, I just started rereading Dune. I'm a little short, short part into that. Um, nice. it's been fun to go back to it after having seen the movie, uh, which I absolutely love and seeing how the movie starts and the editing and the, the placing of different events, like the book pretty much opens up with the whole gum Jabbar scene, which it's pretty close one for one in the movie where then that shows yeah. up a little bit later in the movie, they focus on the invasion of Arrakis and give me a little backstory and history, which I think they kind of have to do. If you've never read the book, you need that. Um, and of course the focus on the Freeman and how they're, you know, they're being invaded and their, their, you know, world is being taken over by people who just, you know, the Harkonnens and stuff like this. So, but enjoying going back to it and having a visual of who people look like. Uh, and yeah, it's kind of helpful because that book is dense. Um, yeah, I had a hard time reading the first one. Um, yeah, it took me, it took me so much of it, like leans into Herbert's interest in like environmentalism and ecology Yeah, Yeah. and, um, and, uh, and drugs, you know, there's like a lot of like psychedelia that's present in that first book. Yeah. But then as you move forward, like into Messiah and into children of Dune, they're easy reads. Yeah. They're like much breezier than yeah. than the first one was for me i, I did Agreed. stall out around god emperor because it was just a it's ridiculous bit... i didn't <laughs> i didn't even bother <laughs> yeah i mean i think i'll finish it I, yeah. I, I it's not that i don't like it it's just there's no it's so far in the future 
Yeah. And it's so far removed from the main narrative that it's it's hard for me to get my footing again. Yeah. And you've got echoes of characters and clones of characters and worms of characters, <laughs> but they're not the same characters. So it's a little hard. I love Children of Dune. I thought it was great. I, I did think, too. I, did I too. think Lucas cribbed so much yeah. from so much Dune. Yeah. Not just Sandworld, but twins and children and messiahs. And, yeah. you know, it's just yeah. very, very, very influenced. All right. Well, that's our episode. That's it. So, Thanks for listening. We'll be back next episode. What are we What are we talking about? We're doing... Um, I think char- characterization. We're going to refine from archetypes and models to something a little more detailed. Um, yeah, get a little more to the nitty gritty. Join us for that. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, you can share it with someone. That would be great. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at Writer Syndrome Books. I don't do any updates there, so I'm going to try and get a little more involved <laughs> there. But go follow us because that's fun. We're still on Twitter. Writer underscore syndrome. We are. I periodically update that with episodes. We need to find hard some. Hard to engage. We're, we're actually on YouTube uh, now, so you can find us there. Writer syndrome, posting some po- back backlog episodes and getting caught up there. Um, and Russ is in the wild physically as host the book if you want to purchase it. I am. Go, go grab that. Uh, otherwise, you can find all the episodes, how to reach out to us at writersyndrome.com. 